Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, wild pigs have been an issue in Canada over the last 25 years, but a quite simple-looking trap may be part of the solution to the problem. Called the pig brig, it's a big net that is 20 feet in diameter and can be set up by one person in about an hour. To catch a wild pig, the pig simply walks underneath the mesh and once they're in, there's no way out. It's also portable, so it can fit into a backpack. Aaron Summerall is the Director of Outreach Education and research at Pigbrig, the U.S. company that makes the traps of the same name. Aaron will talk about what inspired the creation of Pigbrig and the potential to use it to control other pests. A researcher at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine says the use of AI to assess animal welfare offers an opportunity to eliminate human error and bias during assessments. Dr. Martina Lagoda says measuring welfare of animals is a complex task, but there are animal-based indicators of welfare, which are visible on the animal's carcass throughout the pig's life. These are used as the scoring targets of an automated system. She says the indicators tell a story of welfare retrospectively and can be tracked back to different stages of the production chain. After the break, Aaron Summerall. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. With me is Aaron Summerall with PEGBRIG. He's the Director of Outreach, Education and Research with the United States Company. And uh, they're toning their product as a solution to the wild pig problem. So, Aaron, tell us about PEGBRIG, what was inspired by the project, and maybe talk a little bit about uh, something that you were working on in Guam. The early on, the way we were doing that is to airlift traps, prefabricated metal traps, into the jungle because there were no no roads that exist there. Uh, so the airlifting was it was somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen or so thousand dollars a month. And we looked for other ways, other avenues that we could be more efficient with that. And the other things that was there is that in using those prefab metal panels, the only I guess option that you had to erect those traps was to use the existing trees, the existing vegetation. The reason for that is in Guam, to drive a post or to dig a post hole is illegal because of unexploded ordnance still remaining from World War II. So we had to find something that we could adapt to the existing environment to make sure that it conformed to the ground, that it was easily backpackable, uh, portable, adapted to any ground slope, ground structure that we may face, And the obvious solution for that would be a net of some kind. So we started exploring options there. Got the net set in place, got everything up and in motion. And early on, we used a a regular cell phone activated catch gate on the net systems uh, to, to be able to obviously catch the pigs when they went into the net. Well, the camera on the gate system was showing that the pigs were not going through the gate. They were going under the net. So we actually had to shut, we had to actually close the gate to keep the pigs in, not to close the gate to catch the pigs. So it was just a, a basically a, an epiphany moment there. And so the trap is being used widely in the United States, is gaining some traction in Canada? We have. We've got quite a few sales in Canada. There is, uh, there's actually an increasing interest in Canada. I was actually in Saskatchewan uh, back in November. I went to, uh, I flew into Saskatoon and then... Um, 
was there for a couple of weeks there working with four of the different Canadian provinces. They were representatives there from British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba that are responsible for pig management in their respective provinces. So we had a, a prolonged training there because of the concerns that wild boar face or wild pigs face are, are imposing in Canada. And, uh, and at that point, there were already quite a few of the pig brick traps scattered throughout Canada. But now it seems like there's much more of a, uh, an interest that's moving forward uh, in Canada to make sure that they are on the, the cusp or on the front side of making sure that that pig problem is eradicated rather than trying to get to the capacities where we are in the south where we just try to make sure that we just kind of hold it steady. We, we're, we're pretty much past the point of eradication here where Canada has the opportunity to, to maintain an eradication status. Well, the product is being used now, I understand, in 35 countries, about 7,000 units sold. But I understand the first unit was sold in September back in 2020. So overall, how has it initially been received? We're the only patented net trap system on the planet. So a lot of the early skepticisms out there was just the fact that how is a net trap going to hold a pig as big as what I've got on my property? And so it it took a little bit of convincing some, I guess, the right places, the right people to see the durability, the strength, and the ability to hold those pigs was there. And once that skepticism started to wane off uh, is when we, it it just, it went so big so fast, we never anticipated that. So Aaron, you're saying the cost is uh, just a few thousand dollars. So tell us about the durability of the trap and how long it can be used and moved. Yeah, so whenever you look at the trap system, the, the materials that are there, the durability of the, the materials that are there, you know, you get the net, you get everything but the post. If you decide to use post to put the trap up, you provide those. We provide everything else. Um, the trap does come with a guaranteed warranty on there that we come that's, that, that comes from Pig Brig. And then you have the option if you want to extend that warranty for a few dollars a year, you can even extend that warranty. The trap system is UV coated. Um, so the, it's going to stick with you for a long time, even if you leave it in the direct sunlight 365 days a year. We have also our own in-house customer support. We have our in-house trap support. Uh, we have all different sorts of services that come along with that trap so that we do not uh, farm those out. So whenever you call and you want to talk to somebody with PigBrig, PigBrig is going to be the one answering the phone. And we're not going to be transferring you all over. So you, you speak and you communicate directly with us. So. Yeah, the, the trap systems that we have there is just two options, the same size, 20-foot diameter, and, uh, and you have the options of whether or not you want to have a trap cap on the trap, which is about an 18-inch net that goes around the top of the trap that, that basically eliminates the chances of a, of a pig ever trying to get out of the top. So you have the option of a trap cap, or you have the option without the trap cap. So uh, everything there, whenever you buy the system with the, the, the trap cap on it, is a $3,000 net. And what I tell people is if you got a $3,000 net there, then that one net is good for about three different locations. So the way that we use the net systems in the, in the states, and this is what we talked about whenever I was in Saskatchewan back in November, especially for those farmers that have multiple farms that are scattered out in different places around the area, is that instead of having to have a trap in every single location, if they have a trap location identified, as they're out there breaking ground or feeding cattle or doing whatever, and they see activity of pigs, it takes about 10 minutes to set that trap up, 10 to 15 minutes to set that trap up if they already have their post in place and things like that. So 
instead of having to have a trap in every location with the portability of the of the pig brig system you can get to wherever you want to be in a very very short period of time and you don't have to shut down your agriculture operation in order to get a truck in the trailer to haul a, tra- a trap in uh, it can literally be in the floor of the cab of the tractor with you or in the floorboard of your truck and uh, and you can slap that trap up in place in a few minutes and go on about taking care of the rest of your responsibilities. The trap is uh, specializing in dealing with wild pigs. Um, I know that you're in research and development stage for similar traps for other animals. So have those requests been coming in? And can you tell us about some of the animals that could possibly be trapped using this system? We get quite a few calls from all over the world that's asking us, I guess, because of the confidence that they have and how well it works with pigs, if we've explored the opportunities of of working with other species. And to be quite honest with you, the pig market is going so fast right now that, that yeah, we've got plans to uh, move into other species, but what we're going to do is make sure that we do it in a quality manner, uh, that, that we're not going to jump into another species before we've had time to actually put it in the field, test it, see what needs to be done, or if there's any modifications to that system. So to answer your question is yes, we're exploring other species that are out there. Uh, other thoughts that are out there, just like you said, with some of the fox, but others are, are um, could be birds in certain situations. It could be that the, the nets are deployed in, in airport locations, or it could be that they're using them in, in, uh, in marking efforts there where they've got to they ban birds and things like that. So, yeah, we're definitely exploring other species. Aaron Summerall is the Director of Outreach, Education and Research at PigBrig, the U.S. company that makes wild boar traps. Coming up next, we'll have Dr. Martina Lagoda with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine, and she'll be speaking on the use of AI to assess animal welfare. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Martina Lagoda is with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. We're talking about AI and how it's being used with regards to animal welfare. So, first of all, Martina, why is automated swine welfare monitoring being considered and why at the abattoir in particular? This research was carried out as part of the NSERC Industrial Researcher in Swine Welfare, led by Dr. Yelan Seddon as the chair at the Western College of Vet Medicine, University of Saskatchewan. And the work in this program was designed to be forward-facing and to bring the industry practical tools that would benefit both the Canadian swine industry and the welfare of the pigs. So to answer your first question with this in mind, AI technologies and their applications are becoming more widespread now and they can be of value to animal welfare research and assessment efficiency. And this is really important because measuring welfare of animals is a complex task, um, often involving subjective indicators, which means there is a lot of potential for bias and human error. So automation of this process means the scoring of welfare indicators is performed by a computer, which eliminates the human error and bias. And performing welfare assessments using an automated system at the time of slaughter in the abattoir also means that we can eliminate the issues associated with assessments performed on farm. So, for example, these assessments are time consuming and as a result of that, they are often only performed once a year. They are also a risk to biosecurity, so uh, we have different people entering the farm to perform these assessments. 
and assessment of welfare at the abattoir using automated methods is made possible because there are animal-based indicators of welfare which are visible on the animal carcass that inform on welfare throughout the pig's life. And these are used as the scoring target of an automated system. So these indicators tell a story of welfare retrospectively and could be tracked back to different stages of the production chain. Who in particular is involved with this research and what capacity and and what are they bringing to the table to move this along? So this is a research collaboration between researchers at the University of Saskatchewan, again, led by the Western College of Veterinary Medicine with Dr. Yolande Seddon as the PI, and also the Department of Computer Engineering led by Professor Coe, as well as our 14 industry partners providing access to barns and facilities. It is federally funded by the Natural Sciences Engineering Research Council Industrial Research Chair in swine welfare and also by the 14 industry partners representing producers, packers, and also a genetics company. Um, and a computer vision system that can score welfare indicators visible on the pig's carcass efficiently and accurately at the time of slaughter provides the industry with a valuable cost-effective tool that can be easily implemented in practice and that provides feedback on the welfare of their pigs coming through the production chain. And this is really what this research brings to the table. Martina, tell us how animal welfare is tracked and maybe share with us what that uh, data that you've collected so far, what's it, what it's been telling you. So in this type of welfare monitoring, we use animal-based indicators, as I've already mentioned. And these are the scratches visible on the carcass that inform us on the animal's welfare retrospectively as a direct reflection of that animal's interaction with its environment and also other animals in its group during its lifetime. So measuring these animal-based indicators can really give an accurate insight into the experiences of that animal as it passed through the production system, therefore reflecting their welfare. So for example, skin lesions are one of the animal-based indicators used to measure welfare retrospectively. And these inform, for example, on the level of aggression the pig was involved in throughout its life. So if the lesions visible on the carcass at slaughter are fresh, we can infer that this pig was involved in aggression shortly before slaughter, likely during transport. And then if the lesions are older and scabs have already formed, we can tell based on this that aggression likely happened when the animal was still on the farm. So... We can also use animal-based indicators to inform on the effectiveness of management practices on farm. So, for example, by looking at tail length at the time of slaughter, we can say something about tail docking practices on farm. Um, And this is a strategy used to curb the risk of tail biting. So we can look at this indicator in relation to tail bite lesions, for example, and based on their presence or absence, provide feedback on whether tail docking is an effective tool against tail biting or not. And we can advise producers whether perhaps additional management is needed to curb the risk of tail biting. So what type of equipment is used to um, assess uh, the animal and how is that data used? Uh, Essentially, the system is based on a single camera that records footage of the carcasses passing along the production line at the abattoir. 
and a computer vision system which takes this footage and using algorithms trained to recognize and track individual carcasses to detect different sides of the carcass, so the sides of the pig, the back and the belly, as well as regions and body parts of the carcass, such as the tail, ear and um, also specific animal-based indicators such as lesions and hernias visible on the carcass. That system records all of the different indicators needed for interpretation and determination of welfare of each of the pigs uh, retrospectively. Knowing research is always a process, maybe tell us uh, what's been accomplished so far and what you've observed. So our computer engineering collaborators now have a fully working computer model that can detect and track the same pig carcass and can identify the dorsal and the lateral sides. Um, as well as specific body regions like the tail and the shoulder, for example. Um, and these are um, areas of importance for animal welfare. Um, and the, the team are also currently training the model for the detection of specific animal-based indicator lesions on the carcasses, both in terms of their quantity and quality. And then on the other hand, the swine welfare team at the uh, WCVM, led by Dr. Seddon, which I am part of, um, we are currently analyzing on-farm and abattoir welfare assessment data collected to confirm the relationships between these stages of production and therefore confirm that use and animal-based indicators recorded at slaughter can be a herd diagnostic tool to inform on welfare of pigs on-farm. And so far, we are seeing that indeed this is an effective feedback tool to inform on the effectiveness of on-farm management practices, as described earlier with the tail docking example, and also that it could be a herd diagnostic tool. So in a preliminary analysis using relationships between on-farm and carcass data for tail lesion bites, we, we could see that with fewer finisher pigs per batch recorded with severe tail bites on-farm, there were also more carcasses per batch without any tail biting lesions at slaughter. And also with more finisher pigs per batch recorded with severe tail bites on farm, there were more carcasses per batch with mild tail biting lesions at slaughter. So I know this is a mouthful, but essentially it means that um, severities on farm and on carcass are logically correlated and therefore carcass lesions have the potential to inform on tail biting patterns on, on farm. Of course, there will be a process to get this information gathered. Uh, who do you find will get the most use out of it? The successful progress in this work so far confirms that this technology could be scaled up to um, commercial adoption as it supports objective and quantifiable data collection on animal welfare assessment. So it would be used by producers, provided them with easily recorded information on their pigs at the time of slaughter, retrospectively informing on their welfare on the farm, and so um, given a basis to producers on which to improve welfare. And this in turn can also improve the economic return for the producers uh, by reducing the carcass condemnations and cutouts, for example. Martina, where can we get more information? Anyone interested can uh, definitely contact either myself or Dr. Seddon. Our information is easily accessible on the WCVM website, but also those interested can uh, visit our team's website, swinewelfare.com, or also follow us on social media platforms where we post updates on our work. So we can be found on X, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and also threads. 
Dr. Martina Lagoda is with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. Here are the top agriculture stories for the week of February 19, 2024. Canadian farm income may have set a record in 2023, according to new estimates released at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. It noted growth in farm receipts outpaced the rise in expenses. The biggest difference was a nearly 10% increase in livestock receipts to $37.3 billion. Crop receipts were also forecast to have grown 4% to $56 billion as improved production helped offset lower prices. According to Ag Canada, operating expenses only increased 2% last year to $74.9 billion. That is well below the 20% increase seen in 2022. The biggest difference was lower fuel and fertilizer costs. The average net operating income per farm is said to have increased 17%. The picture for 2024 is not as rosy, with Ag Canada forecasting a 14% decline in net cash income. However, that would still be 28% more than the 2018 to 2022 average. Livestock receipts are expected to rise by a modest 2%. The Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan and Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association want Ottawa to reinstate the $350,000 interest-free portion on its advance payments program, known as the Cash Advance. It has been three years since the interest-free portion was at $100,000. APAS President Ian Boxall said since that time, grain prices have declined, interest rates jumped, and the input costs remain high. APAS estimates the lower interest-free portion would cost producers an average $30,000 in interest. The topic will be on the agenda when the Canadian Federation of Agriculture holds its annual convention in Ottawa. A new report from the Canadian Agricultural Human Resource Council projects job vacancies will surpass $100,000 by 2030 as nearly one-third of the agri workforce retires. The report found a 15% increase in job vacancies compared to the number of jobs in 2022 that could be filled by Canadians and residents of Canada. Titled Sowing Seeds of Change, the report stated it's due in part to Canada aging population as more than 85,300 people or 30% of the workforce are expected to retire over the same period. The Human Resource Council Executive Director Jennifer Wright said labor shortages are one of the most serious issues in agriculture. The Labor Market Information Report said that temporary foreign workers will play an important role in narrowing the domestic labor gap. Federal Agriculture Minister Lawrence McCauley officially opened Canada's first-ever Indo-Pacific Agriculture and Agri-Food office. That opening came at the midway point of McCauley's trade mission to Malaysia and the Philippines. The office in Manila will work to expand export opportunities and increase demand for Canadian products. The Indo-Pacific region currently accounts for over one-third of the world's economic activity, and in 2023, Canada's agriculture and agri-food exports to the region reached $22.8 billion.
The Canadian Food Inspection Agency has given all potato-producing provinces a clean bill of health for potato wart. More than 200 soil samples were tested across the country. This is the second straight year there have been no potato wart cases, although Prince Edward Island was not included in the 2022 survey. Testing for potato wart is done to allay any disease concerns from the United States. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, tell your friends, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarland and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.